Believe it or not, not everybody agrees all the time. It's a process. It's a process. Yes. And not everyone agrees. Yo, Welcome, welcome, everybody, to the first ever podcast called The Fair Game. I'm your host, Alan Sandich. Uh, Many of you may know me from Talking Sports at IBN and just Talking Sports in general. If you met me anytime, that's typically my go-to content is sports. But this podcast is a little bit different. Uh, We will talk about sports from time to time, but the concept is to give people a platform to talk about just about anything they want to talk about where everything is fair game. And so that is why we are here. And I have with me in the studio here uh, my very first interviewer or interviewee uh, for fair game. His name is Keith Showtime Shelton. He is our local gold glove boxer. uh, And we have had several interviews and several videos. uh, But this time we're going to sit down and, and get a little unscripted. We'll talk boxing. We'll talk uh, his personal life and some of his journey as a boxer and as a, a Richmonder. So we'll talk about that and we'll talk about the upcoming fights and uh, we'll talk about how this is take two. And he's been very patient with me so far. So, Keith, what's up, bro? What's up, man? Thanks for having me. And Thanks I will once me. again say I don't like that your voice is deeper than mine, <laughs> but I will work on that. I might edit you to a high pitch voice. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, when you reached out to me about doing the doing the podcast, uh, we typically do the video. We do it live. And I was like, you know, let's come in um, and, and, you know, sit down and, and do something a little bit more professional. Uh, just because, one, I need to practice. And I know you obviously want to practice as well. And I know you got your man here that's uh, doing the photography and videography. Uh. NHS Visual. All right, cool. NHS Visual. Right, so, so you look him up on IG, he definitely pop up with that name okay okay and and you know anybody that you get as a customer go ahead and tell them subscribe you know holler at your boy yeah because uh, we need listeners but yeah i am obviously trying to support all content providers because i know i know that struggle all too well and um we brought you here i brought you here to talk about uh something that's a, a new thing actually um that i don't think we had ever discussed on previous podcasts but you know we talked about boxing and everything but um it Turns out you you have type one diabetes. Is that correct? Yeah, man, that's correct. I didn't come out and say it first of all off top because uh, I didn't really feel like it was a time to do it. I put in the work. Um, I got the accomplishments, man. And I think it's time to let people know my medical condition and uh, how I go through it and uh, the journey. So I did a little bit of research on type one diabetes, and it says that five to ten percent of people have type 1 diabetes, so that is indeed rare. I would wager that probably less than 1% of those folks even partake in activities as challenging as boxing. So how do you do it, bro? Like, that's really the question I think everybody's going to ask is how do you do it? Man, man. Well, let me just start off by uh, going back to when I got it and uh, just the disbelief of me having it and did not know where it we're going to take me. So um, I know in the further, um, in the previous interviews we had that I told you I was, you know, started playing basketball before boxing. And the year when I was supposed to go to college, 2018, March 2018, to be correct, I got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. I had a 
spend two, two and a half nights in the um, hospital. Um, they rushed me to the ER. They said my um, blood sugar was over 600 and I can go into diabetic coma. I didn't know what that was at the time. So when they were telling me all these things, I was just trying to soak it all in and didn't try to see what the next step was because I, I knew I still wanted to be an athlete. I still wanted to compete. And when it got thrown on me, I just did not know what the direction I could take. So once I was in there for two two nights and um, anybody that got diagnosed so anybody that know a little bit about it, man, it was probably like the worst two nights of my life, man. I ain't even gonna lie to you. Took, took my blood every four hours, get it low to a certain point. I think it got all the way to like 30, 32, my blood sugar and, uh, all I could have ate was a tuna sandwich. I'm like, what is this? You know, so eventually they got it regulated and then they just basically tell me, man, this is your life. You're going to have this for the rest of your life. The difference where I tell people about type one and type two is type two, you have insulin in your pancreas. It's just imbalanced. Type one, your pancreas don't produce any more insulin. So your body just don't produce any more insulin. You need that to regulate all the intake of food you get. So once they told me that, they were telling me that, I just need insulin to monitor everything I do. So with eating and then and then also not eating because I need still the water and everything I do do to go in the, to certain spots in my body that needed to go. So they gave me this pamphlet. They gave me all these things to, to be to give me the knowledge of being a type one diabetic. Once I got it, didn't really believe it still for the first couple of months. Shoot, maybe a, the year I got it, I still didn't believe it. I try to. See, my sugar was at uh at like 110. I was like, okay, I'm fine. I eat something and it shot back up. I'm like, oh lord, I I do got it for real. So I had to really take in that I really had this this autoimmune disease and really understand what I got and then really under really take in. Okay, I can't hide from this. So I got to embrace it and be able to, you know, maneuver in life with it. So. At first, they start me off with just insulin shots, prick my finger to check my blood every every time I eat, or just every probably three hours just to see where it was at. Got a little advanced now. Got a pump, and then I got a Bluetooth to just regulate my, my sugar all the time. But that's where I started off at, man. And um, my journey in, in basketball when I was doing it in, in uh, at a collegiate level, it was, it was the trials and tribulations, man, because it was new. I didn't really understand it. And certain days I go low, I couldn't work out. Some days I'm high and uh, I feel kind of sluggish. But my coaches understood when I told them and um, they still took heed. They understood what I was going through and, and they trust me to get it right. And um, once I was getting it right, I was still competing. I was doing my thing. And then, uh, like I said, my second year of playing collegiate basketball, I ended up starting, finishing out the year pretty good. So moving on to boxing. When I got into it, I kind of had an idea of how I needed to regulate my sugar, but I did not know what my sugars needed to be in order to fight. So I had to do my research in that. I had to ask my doctors and all that how to really uh, regulate this situation. And they was like, man, I mean, you're doing it. All you got to do is make sure your sugar stays above this amount and then um, just compete like you've been doing. So I guess my first question would be because obviously I can see you, they can't see you. But, I mean, I don't think most people think of boxers as fat people like myself. So diabetes is typically associated with people who are out of shape or obese and things like that. What was the thought process being diagnosed and knowing you were probably in the best shape you could possibly be in at that time? Like that 
that has to be one of the more the more discouraging things is that you're like I've done everything right. Like I'm I'm not an out of shape person. And I, I mean, obviously you probably don't have any dietary issues because you're so in shape and you're a peak athlete, you're a collegiate athlete, but yet you still got diagnosed with, with type one. What was that thought process? Like how was, how was it to accept that particular news? It was tough, man. It was tough. Cause like you said, I was in my, I was just getting better physically and my physique is still thin and, uh, I would say rip and when I was when I got diagnosed it was still that. I was a little bulky then but I won't fat. Always everything was still toned up. So when I got the news I it was kinda still a shock. Like I'm like I, I, I eat the right stuff, I do the right things, I exercise every day. I didn't understand it. So like I said, with type one it, it's not really uh um you out of shape or you're not eating the right foods, it's just your pancreas just stopped working. Usually it comes when you're a juvenile, but I got it when I was uh, 18, I think. Yep, 2018, yep. So I was born in 99. So, yep, got it when I was 18, 19. So I, I just was so confused at the time. But like I said, at the two-year mark, three-year mark, I, I just had to understand this is my life now, and I just got to take control of it. So we can stop the podcast now because you said you were born in 1999. And that definitely makes me feel old. Nothing makes me yeah. feel nothing makes me feel old until people tell me they were born in the late nineties or early two thousands, and then I'm just like, dang man, because nineteen ninety nine, I was I was about to hit high school. You was just being born. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, makes your dad old too. I didn't know he was that old. I'm gonna tell him about himself after the podcast. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> but you know, getting back to the idea that you get a rare diagnosis. Mm-hmm. You're playing basketball. Most people would probably go somewhere and sit down, and then you took on boxing. But, you know, the the comparison of the training regimen that it takes to be a boxer compared to other sports is probably – there's probably nothing close to it except for maybe wrestling, uh, maybe some distance, like track, cross-country type stuff. But even mm-hmm. then, just the, the beating that your body takes physically and then having to recover and things like that. How has uh, diabetes affected that process? Not necessarily the energy level, because you touched on that a little bit, mm-hmm. but the recovery level, like the 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 fact that you know once you get down, you can't go eat a a a, a big meal or something like that mm-hmm. to to replenish your energy and things like that. Your diet's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So how has that affected you as far as the recovery process? I'd say, man, to be honest, I think me transitioning into boxing after basketball was probably the best decision I could ever make at that time. At that moment, I was maybe like 220, 225 because I was a power forward in, in college. I ended up training. With diabetes, you always got to have a regimen of food. You got to have to uh, eat the kind of the same foods, understand what's got, what kind of don't have carbohydrates, what do carbohydrates is sugar. So um, you just got to basically play with food, see what I like, see what I don't like, and then just stay with that food consistently. So once I got the uh, formula down and I just start shredding and still working out, it made a major difference. Like um, I fight at light heavyweight, so I can make 176, and I I, I got down to that point. You know, I, so I ain't going to tell you my walk-around weight because I, I might have, you know, my, my opponents look at this interview, so I ain't going to tell you my walk-around <laughs> weight, but – I get to that. I get to that weight, and I feel good. I still got my strength and power. 
I mean, Devin Haney walks around um, probably 20, 25 pounds heavier, even on fight night. He comes in about that size. So Yeah, I don't know how you do it. I've seen, <laughs> I an, article. Either, I seen an article that he, he, he definitely weighs in the day of the fight, probably 20 pounds over than what, what he weighed in before, the, uh, before that day. And I'm like, how did he do that? I didn't understand you can put in that much and feel good afterwards. Yeah, that's what I said. I've heard of people doing it, but I ain't never seen nobody not be sluggish when they do it. But I guess I guess it's um, you know, technology has advanced and you touched on that too, even like how you treat, you know, type one diabetes has advanced and I think uh, mm-hmm. with the science comes some progression um in in the positive like on your side and then in the negative, like how he's basically gaming the system. But I won't I won't get on my rant. I won't get on my rant. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, boxing has obviously been your thing uh moving forward yeah. and uh you know we've touched on some of your achievements and and some of your progress uh in previous podcasts so we would be doing a disservice if we didn't talk about it uh in this podcast so the last time we talked you were working your way through the olympic trials and i caught a couple of the fights uh tell the folks how that went and uh what's in store for the future okay i think last time we touched i don't know if i was Third, three-time uh, Golden Glove regional champion and state. And uh, I went to the Golden Glove Nationals, and that was a great experience. I got all the way to the qu- uh, quarterfinals, and um, it went to split decision, and uh, they gave the other guy the decision. But it was all a learning experience. I got back in the gym, um, and we, we just kept fighting. And then I went to the um, last chance Nationals in uh, Colorado, Pueblo, Colorado, to be correct. And uh, I got all the way to the semifinals and fought the number one guy in the nation, man, Ethan Smith. And uh, he, we both just uh, put on a hell of a performance, and we both went the distance, and they gave him the uh, favorite also. When I got to that point, I was like, okay, now I'm I'm here with the big dogs. Mm-hmm. I'm fighting the top in my weight class, and um, I'm lasting. It's, it's going the distance, and it could go. It can go either way. It's a toss up at that point. And all kind of all my fights is toss ups when it get to that uh, level. Mm-hmm. So after that, I just told myself, man, I'm gonna go to the Olympic trials. I wrote that down two years ago when I started this boxing journey. I said I'm gonna make it to the Olympic trials, and uh, I was fortunate enough to you know train, uh, change camps, and fortunate enough to, that was able to get to the Olympic trials, man, and um, compete. I had to go up a weight class. Um, cause they didn't have my weight class in that bracket, but uh, when I went up there and competed, man, uh, we went the distance also, and they gave him the decision. But all these things are learning uh, experience. I'm still ranked uh, nationally in my weight class, and then going forward with this year, we're gonna try to grab another Golden Glove state and regional champion, go to the nationals again, and 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 win the Golden Glove national championship. So that's what I want to bring home to Richmond. Well, when I go, I represent you know, the Washington, D.C. area, but I'm from Richmond, Virginia. So now, that- I totally get it. I think, uh, you know, non-boxing fans don't understand, but, yeah, like, you know, when you make it big, they're going to say the pride of Richmond. They're not going to say the pride of D.C. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they might say by way of D.C., but uh, they, they tend to give you the, the local credit. And, you know, the journey isn't easy. You got, you got the type 1 uh, diagnosis. Has anybody approached you about slowing down? No, nah, man. Okay. Uh, I really haven't really shared it with a lot of people. I, you know, my coaches know and everything like that, but I don't, I'm not sharing this to get old, like, oh, watch out. Like, no, nah. I'm doing this because I'm trying to be an inspiration to other people that have this disorder. 
and struggling to kind of find motivation to keep getting up and uh, move every day. I'm just a motivational guy. I've been that since day one. I mean, when I got in high school and started competing and saying I was going to be an athlete, I always told myself I'm going to just keep going and just whatever happens. So getting this, I don't think it's a curse. I really think it's just one of them things that God wouldn't give it to me if I wouldn't. I couldn't be able to do it. Um, I wasn't able to do it. And, uh, and I just push every day to keep going. Like you said, have it downs. But when I get in that ring, I'm prepared. I'm prepared. I don't ever get in that ring and saying, oh, I don't know if I'm going to. I make sure that preparation for that fight, I do everything I need to do for my sugar to be right. And then when I get in there, it's game time. Yeah, I was going to um, touch base on that mentality later when we recap some of the fights uh, since we've last talked. But uh, I I would be doing a disservice as well if I didn't bring up the fact that your dad specifically reached out to me at some point over the last month and was like, he's been trying to get you to um, to use this as some kind of motivation or inspiration to other folks who might be struggling with type 1 diabetes to kind of be, be a beacon. Uh, if not nationally, but locally, have you looked into maybe uh, getting up with like some kind of national or local diabetic association or anything like that? Yeah, man. Um, I'm doing my my research now. I'm trying to connect with my supply team. So Descom, Tandem. I've been trying to reach out to them. I'm sending them emails now about my story. So hopefully they reach back to me, man, and they they really take a um a big leap to me and be like man this is a guy that we need to put chips in and and really show that you can do whatever you need to do in life or do whatever you want to do in life with this disorder so i haven't heard back from anybody yet like i said i'm still working on it this is something that i just kind of really embraced because um like you said my dad really been telling me man you you that guy you that guy and i really had to understand man this journey i've been going I haven't really gave myself any props and yeah, I, I got this uh disorder, but I, I had many things other in my many other journeys and really many other obstacles I had to deal with in life. Had four surgeries, uh had to relearn how to walk and run all over again, man. It is a lot, man, when it comes to Keith Shelton and his uh story. But right now it's a it's about the uh diabetes, man, and uh, I just keep going every day, man. And uh he sees and he understands, man. You got a story that people need to hear. When they hear it, man, they're going to they're gonna gravitate to them. They're going to gravitate, and they're going to want to see you win and achieve. So I was like, okay, well, let, let's put it out here and see what go, see how it goes. And so now I took the pride. I took everything um, off the table and was like, man, I, I'm this guy. It is what it is. It is what it is. I've been doing it, and um, I'm going to keep going. Ain't nobody going to stop this ride. Nobody going to stop this train from going no matter what. I, I put it on my back this year i mean last year keep going all my tattoos i got it is just motivation to me and uh i just push every day every day to just keep being better and just keep being the best i can be in this society that's that's just great man because i i couldn't do it i'm not even gonna lie to you <laughs> i couldn't do it heck i can't box with with without diabetes i definitely would be going somewhere and sitting down with it and um it's it's inspiring to me you know to see somebody like yourself continuously progressing you know every from the first time we had an interview or or did a video to where you are now i can definitely see the growth and uh you know i'm a, I'm a supporter and i i noticed that the uh, richmond scene has kind of increased on boxing as well and i'm hoping to be able to catch you in a, in a fight live i do have a little bit more free time 
uh, where I can probably get out and uh, catch some of these regional tournaments that you've been doing as well. And um, as always, I have to ask, have you had any opportunities to spar or fight any of the uh, other professionals? Nah, man. Only only professional I've been sparring with right now is in the manual of lean, man. And, uh, he got a fight coming up in February. I think it's February 28th. Mm-hmm. Um, if anybody know from uh, Richmond, Virginia, he a local um, pro boxer. Um, I, I said I gave him some um, some recognition on the last podcast, on the last video we shot, man. He got a fight coming up, uh, like I said, in February 28th. So y'all go look for him. Uh, his name is Emmanuel Aline on um, all the social platforms, man. Um, but that's the only guy, man, I've been um, spawned with here. Um, I have some chances to probably go this year to Vegas and other places to spar different people because um, – a lot of people see my, what I got, and uh, they want to sharpen my skills, man. So I'm definitely going to take these trips uh, this year to sharpen my tools, man, and uh, compete with the best. And then hopefully by the end of next year, uh, well, the end of this year, and God willing, next year, y'all will see me on TV, my first pro debut. So, yeah, we're gonna, we definitely going to take this all the way. Like I said, I'm going pro, possibly, God willing, by the end of this year. Goal is to get the national championship first. I want to bring a national championship to Richmond, Virginia. It haven't been done in a while. I don't know if it ever been done, but I'm going to be the first one to do it. So I'm bringing it home. That's what's up, man. And just don't charge me ninety nine ninety nine for your debut fight. And I'm in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in there. Otherwise, I ain't going to even lie to you, bro. I'm going to stream you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do what you got to do, man. Yeah, they have been price gouging us poor fans for a while. But uh, we we got we got a treat with the last pay per view and, and we have to talk about it. Our very own Deontay Wilder fell to Joshua Parker. Absolute disgust on my end from that fight. What what was your thoughts going into the fight? And then give me your thoughts like when you were watching the fight. My thoughts going into the fight was okay. Deontay Wilder's back. Uh, he looked good on social media and all the you know videos he uh, recorded himself and uh, his team. They looked it good. Uh, he looked like he he put some boxing in his repertoire. Watching the fight that the fight night, man, all he had was foot movement. He didn't really throw punches. He waited to like the the last two three rounds to try to do something. And at that point, Parker won every round. And for somebody to be a, a past heavyweight champion man and do that i was kind of uh in shock i was like man what 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 happened what 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 the game plan i i, I really think he was just trying to be a boxer instead of him being his natural self and be a fighter but parker did a great job of just not getting hit and just throwing punches i mean he did exactly what he supposed to do keep throwing punches not let him land that right hand and that's exactly what he did yeah that was great boxing display by um by Parker and you know we were talking about it before we got on about his trainer Andy Murray and I was just telling you about you know back in the day and I, and I say back in the day because it's grassroots boxing and it, there's still some of it around but used to be you could see a guy fight not even know where he was from but tell by the way he was fighting where he was trained or what gym he came from and you, you kind of get that a little bit now but people switch trainers so much it's, it's hard to say because the first time they lose, they think, you know, need to reinvent the wheel, which isn't always true. Styles make fights. Sometimes the the guy that you were fighting against just is the style you can't overcome. So you kind of have to add on, not necessarily recreate. And um, I could tell Parker was trained by a crunk gym person. 
just by the way he was fighting behind the jab the whole time. And then come mm-hmm. to find out it was Andy Murray, who was, I think he was middleweight, but he was one of uh, one of my favorite uh, Manuel Stewart fighters, Irish guy, uh, just just gung ho, willing to scrap with anybody, but had a decent jab and a, and a mean overhand right, which is what Parker ended up hurting Wilder with. I'll just I'll just say, man, like I don't have high expectations for Parker or sorry Wilder as a boxer because uh, I know what he is. He's a he's a puncher. That's what yeah, he, he's he, a brawler. He's a, like, that he's a knockout throw, artist. Yeah, yeah. they can throw one punch. Yeah, and, and, and my issue is is that he just has not been able to figure out how to set that one punch up, which to me is very so. It's like the basic fundamentals of boxing yeah. to to set up a right hand, especially when you have his range. And his size, like, he shouldn't have trouble landing the punch. Mm-hmm. But, like, he just, like, even times where he could have landed it, he didn't shoot it. And so that lets me know, basically, he's a shot fighter. Not, and there's nothing wrong with that. In boxing, usually the game tells you when it's time to retire, yeah. <laughs> you know. And and as a fan, I've seen, I've seen that look on people so many times because I've seen a lot of careers come and go. doesn't make them not great, but – the first thing that happens is they see it, but they don't throw it. And then the second thing is, is post interview. They talk about everything, but boxing. And that's exactly what he did and nothing against his family and stuff. And I'm happy for his girls and everything. But when you start talking about how like it's more to boxing than, than, you know, this and I'm happy if I retire now stuff that Earl Spence is saying on Twitter too, then just leave, bro. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just leave. You guys have made your money and that's great. But like the idea is that we're in a championship fight. And you can't land but like ten percent of your punches and, and it's one hand, like that's a problem. Mm-hmm. But kudos to Parker. I don't think he does anything with it. I think he gets washed by everybody else. Tyson Fury doesn't look like he really wants to fight anybody anyway. Mm-hmm. Maybe he fights Yusuke next. Yeah, he got a fight coming up. I yeah. mean they already signed a contract, so he got a fight, Yusuf. And that's one thing, uh, as a fan that, you know, again, not trying to get on my soapbox, but as a fan, I always enjoy that people fight for undisputed titles mm. like that that just that that moniker that you be everybody you know yeah. you the top dog um and it doesn't seem like people really want that anymore uh we've got a couple that do but for the most part by and large boxing is just a business now which brings me to my next fight mm-hmm. <laughs> joshua versus Nganu, um mma fighter Nganu, who who knocked down tyson fury i'm starting to question how but uh, he knocked him down, and everybody got excited, and Joshua looked good in his last fight. And, mm-hmm. well, Wilder got beat, and he doesn't want to beat Parker again or fight Parker. I totally mm-hmm. get it. Great money grab for Nganu, and it's low low risk for him because he could look good. We know Joshua comes in unprepared sometimes, mm-hmm. and he's susceptible to getting caught by a, a right hand, and he's not a big heavyweight. Mm-hmm. He's not he's not like Fury, who's probably going to come in like 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. But if you could drop Fury, I would assume if you land a punch on Joshua clean, you could drop him too. Mm-hmm. And uh, this might be this might be a big money fight for him. So, as a boxer, like what's your what's your temperament on these MMA fighters essentially crossing over for money grabs? That's what they are, money grabs. None of them are really. I don't take any of them serious. And mm-hmm. Ganu's about as close to serious as I would take somebody. Mm-hmm. But everybody else has just been fighting for the money. So, what's your take on that? Um. Well, Francis been boxing, man. He always been he always wanted to be a boxer. He just had to get in UFC first. So he always said he wanted to go in boxing and, and, and compete at a high level, and he doing it. And I think, like you said, he the closest one to be an actual boxer yeah. compared to a UFC fighter, man. And a big up to him. 
because he can do it. And uh, I, I tell you, I'll be honest with you, he got more skill, a lot more skill than a lot of these heavyweights out here. So if he, he start ringing bells, man, he gonna be he gonna be uh, one of them guys gonna be man eventing bringing a lot more money to and a lot more eyes to the sport of boxing for sure. Yeah, and um and I yeah I definitely don't want to disrespect him as like just the MMA guy because there's strikers and then there's guys who you could tell that box based on how they move their heads and and throw their punches punching and striking are like they're just different. Mm-hmm. It's different how you how you throw the punch. So he definitely had more skill, or looks like he has more of a base in it. Mm-hmm. And then you know, shout out to Mike Tyson who trained him because he yeah. had him ready. And, and Tyson's a good train. We've seen him give examples plenty, and I think people just forget that the he's he's a historian in the sport. Man, yeah. he loves it. He's and he's fundamentally sound in his approach to teaching people how to box, even if he didn't necessarily fight that way at times. But I, I mean, there's. Again, arguments can be made that yeah. in his particular genre and his style of fighting, uh, with the with the Casamada style, he was definitely um, fundamentally sound in that particular style. Like we see people Philly Shell and things like that, people can be fundamentally sound in their styles, mm-hmm. and that's why we love boxing. So mm-hmm. definitely something to keep an eye on. I'm pretty sure it'll be in Saudi Arabia where they're going to get paid a lot of money. Yeah, Saudi Arabia is the, the big ticket now. Yeah, we got it. Uh, they're we taking over boxing, over so thank God. Because <laughs> uh, Showtime just got out of it. I think, uh, yeah, HBO Ben got out of it, but mm-hmm. I was kind of trying to see where the boxing was heading, and now Saudi got it, and uh, Saudi looked like they about to take it take it away. So that's that's perfect. So I'm excited. I'm excited for the future to see that. So so we got one current fight coming up. You told me about uh, when you came in. That's uh, Benavidez versus Liam Smith uh, this weekend. And I even, like, I'll be honest, I was I was like, Liam Smith? You know, I'm listening off all these times that I've seen him fight because I was like, there's no way this dude got another shot at, mm-hmm. a, at a big name. But, yeah, it's that Liam Smith who's coming off a loss. And like we discussed, looks like it's just fodder for Benavidez getting ready for uh B-ball, which hopefully they'll fight at some point. Mm-hmm. What, what is it like to, to be an active boxer and see all this silliness with negotiations? Ryan Garcia is another one mm-hmm. where you, you see them in a position to make some money. Mm-hmm. And then in Ryan Garcia's case, he was like, I pulled out cause he thinks he's the A side. Like, mm-hmm. like what is that like? Somebody that's hungry and just wants to fight, man. I would say, man, it it is it is uh real displeasing to see all that. Um, but it's a business. Every sport, every everything got politics. Everything got. I got money on this, and I got money in that. So th- this sport is about business, man, and uh, it's all about who can bring in the most people, who can put um, I who can put asses in seats, sorry for the cousin, but who can put butts in seats and who can sell tickets, man. And uh, if you can sell more tickets and you don't have no belt, you are you are the A side. But if the guy that got no seats, no ticket sales, and he got all four belts, he on the B side. So it, it, it kind of, it's crazy how boxing works, man, but that's every sport. Every sport have his business and the politics, but you just got to be able to, when you get in there, be smart. Listen to the people that been in there before and been in them shoes that got, you know, ripped off or did not understand the game and just and then take it take it to your best ability, man, and, and try to get get your money and get out. Yeah, I would 
suggest that to anybody in any sport where you're taking damage to your head, <laughs> you know, regardless, you know, even, even Floyd Mayweather, somebody who, who notoriously didn't get hit a lot. Like, you know, once you start getting hit clean and you ain't normally getting hit, it's time to get out, you know? And, and if you, one of them folks to come in and you just take shots to the head anyway, then your life expectancy and your, your career is going to be pretty short lived. So definitely cash out as quickly as you can and um, go on to a better life. Cause again, I don't ever want to see anybody get seriously hurt in the ring, like Errol Spence in that in that Bud fight. Like that was just so lopsided. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not willing to to watch you do that for three four fights. You yeah, know? it's cool for one fight, I guess. But you know, once once it's time, it's time. And um, it's been a while since we talked and, and we discussed that fight out that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm hoping that we just continue to usher in an era of boxing where people just fight. Because one, they want to get paid, but also because they want to fight. Fight, yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm hoping for, and I'm hoping to see you when you do your pro debut. Like I said, just not the ninety nine ninety nine price tag, mm-hmm. um, but if you're on Amazon Prime or if you're over in Dubai uh, <laughs> fighting, that'd be great. That'd man. be just phenomenal. Man, if I had something to do with it, it ain't gonna be that high. Yeah, I, I understand <laughs> how it goes, and like I said, if I got something to do with it, I know my my people. Do not want to pay a hundred dollars to see a, a a thirty or to an hour fight. You know what I mean. So yeah. if I had something to do with it, I, it won't be ninety nine dollars. But hey, like I said, it's the business, so I can only say what I can say. Straight up, man. And, and um, you know, as we wrap up, let's uh, give folks an idea of like when's your next. Like when can they see you next? Um, I possibly have a fight coming up in a couple of weeks man um i want to say january 17th i mean 27th 28th uh it's gonna actually be in virginia it's gonna be in virginia it's gonna be in portsmouth virginia um but then again this is an amateur so my my opponent gotta show up he gotta weigh in and he gotta be on weight mm-hmm. um this is a match bout so he don't have to be exactly on weight but he just gotta show up um if he if i get an opponent but that's the next time um if if I don't fight that day or something else come up and I do fight that day, the next one is, a, is in uh, February. going to be in the Carolina Gloves. That's going to be in North Carolina, I think, Fayetteville. And then after that, we're going for these these nationals, man. Uh, like I said, Golden Gloves coming up. And then uh, I try to get another national uh, tournament under my belt. So, yeah, just just follow me. Stay tuned. And, uh, and just stay on this journey with me, man, because I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. No doubt, and I definitely uh, got a chuckle at the idea of the guys got to show up because you had somebody just walk out on you, right? Yeah, I had a couple people just say, no, I ain't fighting. I'm not fighting. That's great, man. That's got to be a great feeling, man. Eh, not really because you, you do all that preparation, man, and you want to. You're so <laughs> eager to, to get get your performance out, and then somebody just say, nah, you just be like, man, what I did all that for for you to say no? Come on, man. Got to meet me in the parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> all right we're gonna wrap it up here uh thank you for being my first guest bro and then as always anytime i can get you on or anytime you you want to come on and and talk about something it don't even got to be boxing man it could be anything uh you are always welcome here on any podcast that i do and then hopefully at some point i actually get an espn show and then you can actually be in the studio and we can get you on air because what i want to do and what i'm hoping to do is to continue to highlight Local athletes, local folks, local businesses, local whatever, 
and uh, give Richmond a voice. So thank you for being my first. Yeah, no problem, man. And uh, just just again, man, like I said, I, I've been competing in boxing for only two years, two and a half years now, man. And, and what I accomplished and what I did, man, is amazing for me and the people around me. So, man, like I said, man, just, just tag along with this journey, man, because I'm not going to stop, man. I'm heading to greatness. I know I am. So, like I said, stay tuned. It's Showtime Shelton. And I appreciate you, Alan, for uh, giving me this platform platform to uh, share my story, man. And you will see me again, man. I'm going to keep coming. And hopefully, like you said, if you get that ESPN, ESPN spot or that channel, I'm going to be there. I, I got you.